Well, thank you, Kenny. I've learned a lot about making introductions this weekend, and uh, I appreciate you, you schooling me on that. In fact, I'm going to my uh, give myself a try at it. There is a guest amongst us this evening that I want to introduce, uh, make sure you all get the chance to meet, my friend Garrison Taylor and his daughter Louise. Garrison is the somewhat newly minted minister at the Frostproof ARP Church over in Frostproof. So make sure afterwards at the Ice Cream Social, if you haven't yet got a chance to meet him, you want to shake his hand or give him a... a extend the right elbow of Christian fellowship to him, um, but uh, he is serving that church, uh, your sister church, so I'm glad Garrison and Louise, y'all can be with us tonight, and I do want to take a moment just to thank y'all again for uh, the great hospitality and welcome that you have shown to, uh, to me and to my family over the course of this week, and it has been so good to be back here uh, at the Bartow ARP Church and to be able to stand in this pulpit again, but also just to speak with so many of you and say hello and catch up. Uh, it has been good for us, good for uh, our hearts and souls, and I pray likewise for you. A number of you have mentioned over the course of the weekend uh, how much our children have grown since you last saw them. And in truth, they have. I mean, John is already past Kristen in height, and he's challenging me soon, I think, for that as well. But of course, our, our children growing is part of the way God has intended things, isn't it? That's what we expect to see in our children. We expect to see them growing and hitting certain developmental uh, steps uh, as they age and as they grow and as they develop. I think about uh, when they were newborns. You know, one of the first steps in their development that you look to see is that move from milk to solid food. And of course, our children usually let us know when they're ready for that next step because they might be sucking down their bottle, but they're eyeballing what it is we're eating and they start to reach for it because they want something more substantial in their own mouth. And so that's sort of an indicator that they're growing and developing well. Or, or you think about some of their cognitive development. When, when, when our children start to associate objects with simple words, whether it's ball or, or dog or chair, or, or as they begin to associate names and faces, I mean, how much do we long to hear them say mama and dada? Those are those, those developmental steps that we love to see within our children, and it lets us know that they are growing well. But at the same time, if we fail to see those steps, if we fail to see that progress, that's an indicator to us that maybe something's amiss and we need to look into that. We need to give them special attention and special care. Well, in a similar way, there are developmental steps that we ought to expect to see in someone's faith. When, when someone first comes to Jesus Christ in faith, all they really need then is just the basics, what, what Paul calls spiritual milk. And that's fine at the beginning when someone first comes to faith. They need that soft, mushy stuff. But, but after a while, we should begin to see them longing for, for richer fare, that they should long to know the deeper truths of God and His Word. And we should also begin to see a deeper uh, 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 corresponding cognitive development too, that the things they're learning in their head are connecting to their heart. And just like with our children, if we fail to see these developmental markers in someone's spiritual formation, well, that's cause for concern. It lets us know that, that something's amiss and something needs to be addressed. You see, as, as we look at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we understand that, that Paul realized his call in ministry was not to make converts. That was an important step, but his call in ministry was to make disciples. He wanted to see men and women. He wanted to see young people. He wanted to see boys and girls who were actively growing in their faith and deepening in their love and obedience to the Lord. And Paul also understood that this development was not something that believers did in their own strength and in their own ability. 
This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, I'm talking about sanctification, and that does require our effort. It requires our cooperation. But apart from the Holy Spirit acting in our lives, we cannot experience any authentic or lasting growth in our faith. And so it should come as no surprise then that that Paul, after spending the first half of this letter celebrating God's grace and his redemptive work, closes this section out by praying that his readers would grow in faith. And specifically, as we'll see this evening, he prays that the Holy Spirit would fill us with all the fullness of God and help us to grasp his great love in Jesus Christ. So we'll hear then tonight for the final time from the book of Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Hear now the word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the study of his word tonight. Oh, Lord, our God, we've just heard from your word that you are able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. So would you do that in our hearts and lives and minds even tonight? Would you take away all distractions that might be preoccupying us this evening? And would you help us here at the close of a Lord's Day to focus on your truth for just a few moments more. We pray your Holy Spirit would come upon us in power in the inner man and in the inner woman, and that you, Lord, would help us to know the great love that you have for us in Jesus Christ, and that we would even leave here being filled with all the very fullness of God. So bless us, Lord. Do it because you are able. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I realize we've jumped ahead fairly significantly tonight from where we've been thus far this weekend. Uh, on Friday and Saturday night, we focused on Ephesians chapter 1. This morning, we looked at the first 10 verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And now we've skipped ahead to the end of chapter 3. We've skipped over a couple of important passages in which Paul elaborates upon the mystery of the gospel, that, that, that God's plan of redemption was not exclusive to the Jews, but was intended all along to be worldwide in scope, that God even, in, uh, even planned to call to himself the Gentiles as well. That's what we see at the end of chapter 2, which we haven't covered. And then in the beginning of chapter 3, Paul shares his story of his own personal call and his own personal commission to be the minister of this mystery to the Gentiles. It's a mystery that he says 
in chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 3, verse 6, a mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So, so very quickly, that's the context for our passage this evening. That is the reason for when Paul says in chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason. It's in light of what God has done for us in His grace. It's in light of what God has done for the Gentiles in bringing them in to His family and into His kingdom that Paul says, I bow my knees before the Father. Now think about this for a minute. I think this is, this is fascinating and it teaches us a lot. Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians some 30 years after his conversion on the road to Damascus. And yet, even after all those years, as he contemplates again the grace of God, not only in his own life, but also in calling Jew and Gentile to himself, that Paul is still floored. He is literally floored because he says, I bow my knees before the Father. I wonder, are you still floored at God's grace in your life? Again, we realize we don't always stay on that spiritual high. There are peaks and valleys in our lives. But do you still, from time to time, just get humbled at the fact that God has shown you and shown so many His unmerited grace? Paul wanted the Ephesians to grasp that again. Paul wants us, God wants us to grasp that again. And that's the reason for this prayer that he makes in verses 16 through 19, which is now the second prayer, isn't it? His second prayer as recorded in this letter. We saw the first one last night at the end of chapter 1, and now here he is praying again for the Ephesians. And it's a significant prayer. In fact, one commentator goes so far as to say, no prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bolder request. No prayer that has ever been framed has uttered a bolder request. And you know what? I tend to agree with that. And that's significant considering the fact that there are a lot of prayers contained in the Scriptures. And yet Paul does make an outstandingly bold request. And this request comes in two parts, and both parts are found in verse 19. Look ahead for a moment to verse 19. Paul prays for two things. He prays first that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge... And then he prays that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And the reason they say this is bold, the reason I say this is bold, is because these are unattainable for us. You and I, in our own power, given all of our own strength, could never achieve these things. Think about what Paul is praying. Very first, he asks that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Isn't that a contradiction in terms? That we might know what surpasses knowledge? Have you ever contemplated, have you ever thought about that in this passage before? Paul is praying that we might know something that is unknowable. And then secondly, he prays that we might even be filled with all the fullness of God. Solomon himself, in all of his wisdom, when he was praying at the dedication of the temple, said that not even the heavens can contain the fullness of God, and yet here is Paul praying that we might be filled with the fullness of God. How is it that Paul can even think, can even dare to petition God for these two extraordinary blessings? Well, it's because Paul knew something. 
He knew, as he states in his doxology, that God is able to do far more abundantly than all than we can ask or imagine. And it all hinges upon the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 16 again. As Paul begins his prayer for the Ephesians, he prays that that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Do you know what the role of the Holy Spirit is in your life? I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is sort of the, the person, the third person of the Godhead that we don't really understand as much. We understand God the Father, of course, we understand God the Son, but the God the Holy Spirit for some of us maybe is a little bit of an enigma. What is the work? What is the role of the Holy Spirit in someone's life? Well, first and foremost, he is the one who applies God's power of salvation to our lives through the grace of uh, of regeneration. Everything we looked at this morning at the beginning of chapter 2, God making us alive when we were spiritually dead, is the work of the Holy Spirit. Think about that, that vision that Ezekiel had, that valley of dry bones that we considered this morning. It's significant that in that passage of dry bones, God says, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. It's the Holy Spirit who gives life where there was formerly death. It's the Holy Spirit who breathes that spiritual life into our sin-deadened hearts. I, I like the way our shorter catechism actually phrases this in the, in the question number 31 on effectual calling. It, it teaches that the Holy Spirit convinces us of our sin, enlightens us to the knowledge of Christ, renews our wills, and then persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus as freely offered in the gospel. Remember this morning, Paul said that our salvation is a gift of God by grace, not our own doing, right? Well, here it is. It's the Holy Spirit who made that effectual in your lives. That's his number one first job in our life. But his work isn't done. In fact, you might say his work is just getting started when he breathes that new life into us. The the act of regeneration, that's a one-time event. But the work and the grace of sanctification, well, that goes on until the Lord calls us home. And that's the focus of Paul's prayer. That's why he opens this prayer asking God to be at work in our inner beings according to the power of his Holy Spirit. A power that's already evidenced in the fact that Jesus Christ dwells in our hearts through faith. It's the Holy Spirit again who does that. And because Christ dwells within us, Paul says, we are rooted and grounded in love. But but, but this is like baseline love. Paul uses two words, rooted and grounded. They come from agriculture and architecture. And he's talking about the beginning. In in agriculture, you know, when when that seed is planted and that first little leaf comes up, that means the plant is also beginning to put down that first important taproot. And that's great for a beginning. And in architecture, when we build a building, what's the first thing we do but lay the foundation? And that's great, but that's just the beginning. That plant needs to grow, which means its roots need to go deep. That building needs to go up, which means that foundation needs to be strong. But Paul wants us to move beyond this foundational love. As important and as necessary as it is, he wants the Ephesians and he wants us to go deeper and higher. He wants to see us become mature Christians and to develop a greater understanding of this love. And so in verse 18, he prays. He prays that we might even have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth 
of the love of Christ. These are the dimensions, so to speak, of Christ's love for us. And they're beyond measure, aren't they? Tanner read for us from Psalm 103 earlier. You've got it printed there on your bulletin. The psalmist says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Let me ask you a question. Can you measure the distance between the heavens and the earth? Do you know when the east stops moving away from the west? No, it's immeasurable. We can't grasp it. Where do, where do you stop? Where, where do you begin to comprehend the infinite? And that's exactly Paul's point. The love that God has for us in Jesus Christ surpasses knowledge because it is infinite. It doesn't have an end point. It's beyond our comprehension, and yet Paul still prays that we might comprehend it, that we might know it, that we might understand the surpassing knowledge of it. Do you realize how great God's love for you is in Jesus Christ? Have you thought about that recently? Well, you did if you were here this morning, didn't you? Because Paul told us. He said that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, made us alive together with Christ. But you know, Paul's not the only one to talk to us about the love of God. In 1 John, we're told, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Later, John says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. In his gospel, he says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And in Romans 5, we're told that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Who dies for sinners? Who dies for enemies? Only someone who has an infinite love. A love that is beyond measure. A love that surpasses knowledge. And yet, this surpassing knowledge of love is something that we have felt, isn't it? If you've placed your faith in Christ, this love is something you have experienced and Paul's prayer then is that we might know it in full measure. In fact, he goes so far as to say that we pray that we might be filled with all the fullness of God himself. And I realize that might seem ludicrous at first. How can we, finite beings, how can we be filled with all the fullness of God? The truth of the matter is we actually already are. And Paul has already intimated as much in this letter. If you were to go back to what we looked at uh, last night in chapter 1, verse 23, Paul declares that, that we as the church, as his body, are the fullness of him who fills all in all. And so what Paul is really praying here tonight is that we might be who we already are. That we might realize who we already are in Jesus Christ. But herein lies the rub. Herein lies the struggle that so many of us feel on a daily basis. That tension that we've talked about this weekend between the already and the not yet. While we have been united to Christ, while we've made, been made alive in Him and freed from bondage to sin, we know that we haven't yet attained to this fullness. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of you feel like you are where you should be, want to be, or need to be in your faith development? 
Don't raise your hand, because everybody's going to laugh if you do. None of us, right? If any of us thinks we're where we should be in our faith development, we don't understand sanctification. We probably don't even understand the gospel. None of us is where we ought to be, and we feel that, don't we? I've heard from people before that say they just feel distant from God or they feel like they've hit a sort of a wall in their, in their devotion life or, or they just haven't like sensed God. Well, that's natural. None of us is ever where we should be. None of us is ever where we're supposed to be because where we're supposed to be is perfect. And that's not attainable on this side of heaven. So easily we become sidetracked in our development in faith. We become sidetracked by, by the problems or the pleasures of this world. Or, or we fight those ongoing battles with sin. Oh, don't you tire of those ongoing battles, sometimes with the same particular sin, over and over and over in your life, and it leaves you, leaves you discouraged, it leaves you shamed. And, and while we may sometimes be discouraged as we contemplate our, our development in faith, I want you to know that there is good news for us. And I want you to know that there is hope even in the face of our own weakness. And the good news is that where you and I are weak, the Holy Spirit makes us strong. And where you and I are unable, God is more than able. That, that's what Paul's been trying to drive into our heads and into our hearts throughout this weekend, throughout the first half of this letter. God has already done far more abundantly than we ever deserved or could have ever hoped for. What have we considered this weekend? He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. He has made us alive together with Christ. He has saved us by grace through faith as a gift. He has made us heirs of the promise, and he has sealed us with the Holy Spirit. No wonder Paul is driven to his knees before the Father in light of all of this. God has already done far more abundantly than anything we could dare to ask or hope for. Because as we saw this morning, we were born dead in sins and trespasses. We entered this world as enemies of the cross. And yet God has done all of this for us. And he's able to do far more. And that's the point of Paul's closing doxology. Verse 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Well, it's a beautiful doxology. It's a beautiful word of praise. And of course, praise is the only fitting response to what God has done for us. You see, our theology should always lead to doxology. Perhaps you've heard that before. It's not original to me, but it's so true. Our theology should always lead to doxology. Our theology, the things we know to be true about God, the things God reveals to us about himself and his grace in our life should always lead us to worship and praise. If it doesn't, then it's a dead theology. It's a hollow theology. It's a, it's a mental knowledge, but not a heart experience. And that's Paul's point of this entire letter. 
We're only touching the surface of it this weekend. I would encourage you to dig into it a little bit more over the course of this next week. But if you do, you'll see that, that Paul's point, his prayer is that we might move from that simple head knowledge to a felt and experiential reality. Do you really grasp the immeasurable love that God has for you in Jesus Christ? We've been talking about it all weekend, but do you really get it? Has it made that transition from head to heart? If, if you don't feel this evening, if you don't feel any impulse to give God glory as you contemplate what we've looked at this weekend, then either I have not preached the gospel with clarity or perhaps you are still in your sins. And if you are still in your sins, then hear me now, you must turn from your sin. You must cry out to God for mercy, and you must seek the Lord while he may be found. The psalmist is right. What we heard earlier from Psalm 103, God is able to remove your transgression from you as far as the east is from the west. His love for those who fear him is as high as the heavens are above the earth. His compassion to his children is greater than, any, than that of any earthly father. But hear me now. His wrath is also quickly kindled. And he will by no means clear the guilty. So you need to heed the call of the gospel. Repent of your sin and look to Jesus Christ in faith. And understand today, perhaps for the very first time, what is the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ for you. Because God is able to do this and so much more. He is able to do far more abundantly than all we think or ask. And Christian, let me tell you, if you can imagine it, then you haven't come close to grasping it. If you can think it, then you're nowhere close. If you feel like you've got God figured out, then you don't. Because he is infinite and he can do far more abundant. He tells us in Isaiah, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Now see, friends, God is at work in you. He is at work in me in ways that we cannot fully fathom. And really, that should thrill our hearts. And it should thrill our souls and it should thrill our minds. You know, I know this last year has been hard. I know dealing with COVID and all the challenges and loss it throws at us is hard. I know dealing with the political and social and civil upheaval we've seen has been hard. And we may see the state and the direction of our nation in this world and feel small and helpless and frustrated and perhaps angry. But we need to remember that we serve a God who is sovereign over all the affairs of men. By his power, he created the heavens and the earth. By his power, he upholds everything that exists. By his power, he directs the hearts of kings and the paths of nations. And by his power, he will one day make all things new when he unites all things in Christ. And Paul wants you to know that this same power is at work within you right now. You don't have to wait till the day when Jesus Christ returns. This power is at work in you right now. His Holy Spirit is with us tonight. He's moving and shaping and directing and empowering us. Do you believe this? And if you're nodding your head, then rest in this. Entrust yourself to the God who is able to do far more abundantly than anything, anything we could think 
or imagine. Let's pray together. O Lord, our God, like Paul tonight, we are driven to our knees, floored again as we contemplate the wideness and the depth and the height and the vastness of your love for us in Jesus Christ. Father, we acknowledge that you have done far more abundantly for us than we've ever deserved than we could have ever hoped for. And we glory in the fact that you will continue to do far more abundant than anything we could ever ask or imagine. We thank you too for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who is here with us in this very place tonight, who empowers us and who enables us to know that which surpasses knowledge and to fill us with all the fullness of God. So Lord, would you renew the wonder that we ought to have for you? Would you renew the love that our hearts ought to have toward you? Would you remind us again of how much you love us and how much you have done for us? Would you confirm and convince us that you are in control? Even in the midst of uncertain times, even in the midst of difficult times, Jesus Christ is still on his throne. And that the power that was at work in raising him from the dead, the power that was at work in bringing new life into our hearts, that power is still with us and working in our lives. Oh Lord, help us to trust this and help us to rest in this. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for enabling us to love you in return. And we make this our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.